Hello, Hellcats. Welcome to a new episode of Ew, That's Creepy. This week, we are discussing the 2020 double avalanche at Silver Mountain Resort in Kellogg, Idaho. First, Melissa will be telling Jackie about the survival story of Ken Scott, an expert skier who was buried in both avalanches. Although this avalanche was a tragedy, Ken's story of life after trauma is truly an inspiration. What's up, creepy cats? Welcome back to a new week and a new episode of Ew, That's Creepy. We're in December, whoop, 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 Christmas time. <clears throat> so Jackie and I wanted to get a little wintry today and talk about the Silver Mountain avalanche that occurred in January 2020. In Idaho. So this was, um, this is a lot of you know, an avalanche based around skiing and stuff like that. So bear with me because there were some, Oh my God, I was going to say the same thing. I had no idea what they were talking about in some parts. I was just like, okay, the skiing terms. I had to look up a lot of them. I had to look up a full diagram of the mountain and everything. So I would recommend you guys, I will link a picture of Silver Mountain below, and especially in the one part when we talk about the avalanche actually happening, I will link pictures. I would definitely look at them because it makes a lot more sense when you can see the picture to know what I'm talking about yeah. and why this avalanche occurred, because when I was trying to read it, I really was like, what? I have no idea, but I've also never gone skiing or done any winter sports, so if you have and you're listening... Don't come for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, we really... I'm going to agree. <laughs> I did my best. So... We tried. I'll be telling Jackie about one of the survivors from the Silver Mountain Avalanche. And um, if you guys don't know, this, there were two avalanches. So I'm going to be telling about a survivor. And Jackie is then going to tell talk about um, someone who helped out during the avalanche. Who also was a survivor, just wasn't like, you'll see, you'll see, girl. Okay, stay tuned. So, my story is about um, Ken Scott, and a lot of this information is from two articles from Mountain Journal, and they were written partially by Ken Scott himself, and then um, there was a psychological therapist named Timothy Tate who had worked with Ken in his recovery and things like that. And he did kind of like the beginning and the closing notes. The articles are so great. They're so well written and things like that. So I highly recommend reading both of those. Thank you, Mountain Journal. So just a brief background, Ken Scott, he started skiing at the age of six. And for him, he said that his love of skiing started when a childhood friend Um, his family would go on a yearly skiing trip and that hearing about that started this like obsession with Ken and he would watch skiing films and, you know, hear his friends talk about their skiing adventures and he really wanted to do that. So he started to beg his parents for lessons 
And I'm sure, as you guys know, skiing is expensive because you have to buy all of the equipment and you usually need lessons because it's hard to just teach yourself how to ski. And then you need transportation to a mountain and everything like that. So by the age of 12, Ken's parents finally relented and let him ski. They said that he would have to pay for half of it, and then they would come up with the rest if he was that serious about it. Wow. I don't know. Like, I've always wanted to ski, but I just, like, for one, don't know if I'd be good at it, and two... This stuff makes me scared. I know. (laughs) It's kind of like, I do get it. It is really cool thinking that, you know, you're, it's a sport where you're submersing yourself in nature. Like you're literally going down the side of a mountain. But at the same time, it's also a sport where you're risking your life basically every time you do it. You could be. Yeah. I don't know. Let us know what you guys think. (laughs) But so. skiers out there. Tell us if you have any avalanche stories. Oh gosh. I hope not. But let us know. Maybe. So, yeah, by age 12, Ken, he came up with the other half of the money, and his parents paid for the other half. He finally got his skis, and he said he was terrified to, you know, get on the ski lift and everything. It was a month of him trying to get up the hill and his equipment where he could even get to the ski lift and ride down the hill. Aww. So, like, he truly, it's cute. Like, he just wanted to ski so bad. He basically was just teaching himself, and he finally did it. And I thought it was, like, a cute little story that he told in the beginning because he said that even on the morning of the avalanche in on January 7th, 2020, going on the ski lift is something that, like, he still thinks back to when he was 12 and, like, his month's work of just being able to get up the hill to get on the lift. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so skiing for Ken, it's not just, like, this little sport. This is his whole life. Pastime. Passion, baby. Passion. So, yeah, it's January 7th, 2020. We are in Silver Mountain in Kellogg, Idaho. And Ken and a few other skiers were preparing to just go out and, you know, do some runs down the mountain. Ken was clearly experienced because he's been doing this since he was 12. And he was meeting up with, um, you know, kind of a group who had been skiing a lot. So they were all experienced. And Ken and this group were going down a Black Diamond run. This was the first thing I had to look up because I was like, that doesn't sound good. It's the hardest. I know that. Yeah, yeah, That's the one thing I do know. (laughs) She knows what a black diamond is, baby. (laughs) Girl, it's the only thing she knows about skiing. (laughs) But yeah, I found that out, and I watched some videos of people on them. Horrifying. So Ken and this other group, they were going down the black diamond run. So if you guys don't know, yeah, like Jackie said, the black diamond run, that's going to be the hardest run that there is at a ski resort. And there's usually... Uh, you know, obviously terrain and obstacles like trees and maybe some cliffs and rocks. You have to work up to being, to going down one of these runs. I was reading an article. It was the list of the scariest black diamond runs in the world. And I was like, oh my, oh my God. God, how are people doing this? The toughest ones in the world were some of them you would drop from the lift of 10 to 30 feet to like start going down. <laughs> oh my God. And there was one, I, did, I think this was in another country, where it even, skier, skiers had to make a jump to, like, stay on the course. I think from, like, one little cliff to another. I'm going to have to YouTube this. 
Yeah, it was crazy. So that morning, Silver Mountain had just received fresh snow. So, you know, everyone is hype because when you're a skier, that's the perfect thing. A fresh blanket of snow out in the morning. So fresh snow blankie. Yep. (laughs) It was perfect for powder skiing. So everyone was really excited. And by 9 a.m., Ken and his friends were already out making their way up the mountain there's even a selfie of Ken and his friend Rebecca, and they took one that morning on the lift as they were headed up. That's who my story's about. Rebecca? Yeah. <gasps> Is it really? Yes. <laughs> Rebecca's a big part of my story. I love her. Rebecca's a homie. <gasps> oh my God. I'm freaking hyped now. I yeah, didn't even girl. know that, guys. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Ken is with his friend Rebecca, and. So by, you know, they're skiing around and by 1045, they wanted to make their way up to the Wardner Peak Traverse. And this is a picture that I think you guys should look up because it'll make a lot more sense. But this is an inbounds peak and it's not accessed by a chairlift. So you go up basically as close as you can. You get off the chairlift and then you kind of have to hike a distance down to this peak. And, and it looked like a hike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, damn. And there was a picture. It's snowing and they're in their skis hiking across this little mountain peak to try to get to this other, to get to like the ridge of the mountain and then drop in and go down. So yeah, Ken and Rebecca are hiking to go down this peak because this is like where the Black Diamond Run is. It's harder, but it's more fun. So that's why they want to go and do it. When they get to the traverse where you're supposed to, you know, go across, they notice that there's a small group of skiers waiting. And so they see that the traverse hasn't been cleared yet. And I guess that was something that they expected the resort to do, but they hadn't. So they were kind of just surprised, but they, since they were all experienced skiers, one of them was just going to be the first one and kind of like make the path for everyone else. So Ken, Rebecca, and the other skiers make the traverse path pathway themselves. So Ken and Rebecca and all the other skiers, they agreed that they all were like, okay, it's weird that the path wasn't cleared, but if patrol thought it was really dangerous, they would have told us not to be able, to, they would have like blocked this off and it wasn't. So it, they got the okay to go through the traverse that morning. So they made their way down and even though they were all kind of a little sketched out, Ken thought they were in good hands because he noted that the first person in the pack was an experienced backcountry skier. So he knew this person and he was like, okay, I trust him and I think we're in good hands and this is just going to be another little adventure. The group continues to scale along the traverse. They're basically scaling along a freaking mountainside looking for a place to drop in. (laughs) Lord have mercy. (laughs) In skis while it's snowing. So some skiers finally start to take their runs down the side of the mountain. Everyone goes down. There are two skiers and they say goodbye to Ken and Rebecca and they drop in and it's just Ken and Rebecca. They look at one another. Ken says, let's do it. But suddenly before they could drop in, of course, Ken felt everything around him moving and sliding. And before they could even react, there was an avalanche happening. Ken fell to his side and Rebecca yelled at him to stay on top of the snow and she was keeping her skis forward and trying to tell him to like get back up. 
And in the article, Ken said that thoughts were just like frantically going through his head. And he thought of everything, you know, that they tell skiers in an avalanche to get his skis off, to try and stay on top of the snow, not get buried, um, everything like that. But it just all happened so fast. And before Ken could even do anything, he was just buried in a layer of snow. Everything kind of settled down for a minute and Ken calmed himself down and he realized that he was buried, but he could see daylight and he could move one of his hands. So he wasn't completely all the way buried. So thankfully he used that hand and he wiped away his face and he could still breathe. And he heard our girl, our girl, Rebecca, love her. So Ken could hear Rebecca shouting from afar and he yelled back that he was okay because she was just like frantically yelling out for him. He rose a ski pole in the air to show Rebecca where he was, but he still couldn't get up because there was so much snow on top of him. But in his mind, Ken was thinking to himself, he was trying to calm down, but he just kept thinking, please don't let there be another avalanche. Like, don't let anyone ski back down. And the Mountain Journal article paused here and threw in some stats of an avalanche. So I'll just throw that in because of course they're crazy as hell. (laughs) So 20 to 40 people die each year in an avalanche. 90% of avalanches are caused by the actions of the victim or the victim's group. Sadly. Mm -hmm. So like 90% of the time it's caused by people skiing, doing some sort of thing. I mean, it's like, that sucks, but I'm sure that is how it happens because it's the activity and stuff. So Right. Like the skier's going down a I mean no one expects it obviously, but it is just like Right, like this all that snow is built up. So, you know, skiers going down a fresh mountain of snow, even a small movement can throw that blanket all the way down and that's what an avalanche is, so Yeah. But it's still something that most people don't expect. So I'd be really freaking out. Yeah, I'd be having a panic attack for sure. Oh, and the last stat, there's only a 30% chance of survival when you're buried in an avalanche. Jeez. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, my God. Throw that one in there, too. Thanks, Mel. The least important one. Right? Yeah, no big deal about that. Yeah, my bad. So, this was about around 11 a.m. when the first avalanche happened, and... You know, Ken is kind of just laying there. I think he was waiting for Rebecca or someone to come help him. Yeah, it would be too. And you you guys know where it's going. A few minutes later, as sad as it is, Ken heard the sounds of a second avalanche, you know, tumbling down the mountain before he could even do anything because he couldn't move at this point. So a second avalanche comes down and just encases Ken completely to the point where he can't move his body at all. Small breaths were almost impossible because the snow was so heavy on his chest that he could barely even lift it to breathe. And Ken also couldn't see anything. That's how much snow was on his face. It was pitch black. Pitch black. So with no sight, he couldn't move and his breathing is minimal. Ken was sure that he was going to just die within the next few minutes from suffocating And it's so sad because he said that he, you know, opened his eyes and he couldn't see. And so it was, like, so scary. And then he said he just shut them again because he would rather shut them and, like, be in his own mind than have them open and kind of realize, like, you know, the weight of the situation. Oh, so sad. 
don't even want to imagine it. I know. He tried to scream out, but he realized kind of quickly that, you know, no one's going to hear him, and that's just a waste of his energy and oxygen, the little that he has at this point. And he just laid there, as sad as it was. So from 11 to 11.25, Ken laid in the darkness of the snow, just thinking, like, when am I going to die, basically? He thought of his wife and his kids and his grandkids, And, you know, kind of basically like the meaning of life and death, just having all these thoughts, thinking there'd be no more bad, but also there'd be no more good and no more memories to make with his wife and his kids. Holy crap. That's a lot. It's so deep. This story is really (laughs) like he's full. I mean, obviously, but damn, full on existential dread like contemplating the entire meaning of life and everything you knew at that point because you're just lying there by yourself in the darkness it's truly so crazy i'm shook so 25 minutes passed like i said it's 11:25, and ken is like okay i'm not dying and i'm tired of just lying here doing nothing so he thought he would try and move and he struggled a little bit tried to move around But there was nothing he could do. The weight of the snow was just way too heavy on him. And by 1130, he realized that fighting more was just making him more tired. And he was like, okay, I'm just, there's nothing I can do. Ten minutes later, Ken was certain that he was going to die. Because now he felt freezing cold. But he had this strange sense of calm Like, he just kind of was sensing the end is near, and at this point, he just was letting it happen a little bit, because he had been, this is like 40 minutes of him lying there. He can't see, and he can't move. I mean, it's almost like, what else could you do? And he has barely any oxygen. All you can do is hope. Right? And speaking of hope, at 11.45, Ken swore he felt something poke him. Like, not something directly touch him, but he could have sworn he felt something by his hip in the snow as if someone was like poking around in the snow searching for people so ken tried to yell out but no one can hear him again and his heart sank ken was believing at this point that the rescuers were searching around and that they had like felt by him and missed him and didn't think anyone was there no could you imagine that thought that would be Horrible. Thinking someone was next to your hip and you couldn't move to let them know. Like, the helplessness. Oh my gosh. So, by 11.55, Ken is 55 minutes he's been there. It's he's terrifying. He's becoming numb and, you know, he's losing his senses. By noon, an hour after being buried there. Ken felt like he was almost dreaming, like he was losing his grasp on reality, going, his consciousness was slipping a little bit, and of course, just when death seemed certain and he was going to pass out, Ken felt movement around him, and he felt a poke, and then another poke, and then Ken was certain that he could feel shoveling, like people shoveling snow away from him, around him. And in the article, Ken said that he almost thought he was hallucinating, like thinking that people were just going to rescue him, but it wouldn't happen. So sad. Oh my God. I know. Yes. Heartbreaking. I'm so glad they found him. That's pretty crazy though. 
Ken said he could finally hear other people talking and asking questions, and he could, like, feel the snow being removed around him. So by 12.10, Ken, the snow was removed around his face, and he could finally see again. And there's literally a picture of them digging Ken out when he's, like, still half buried in snow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'll link that. That'll probably be the picture I use for this on my Insta, on Insta, of course. Go follow us. Five minutes after that, at around 12.15, Ken was, like, dug around, dug out his upper body, basically, and Rebecca ran over to him, and he was so happy, you know, to see Rebecca and see that she was okay, and they hugged tightly, and Ken was dug out, finally. They put heat warmers all around him because he was obviously freezing, like, about to be hypothermic. He was completely numb his entire body. He couldn't feel anything. And by 1230, Ken was taken off the mountainside and they took him down to a little maintenance shed. Can you even imagine? It's like two hours earlier. Y'all were just having fun. And now it's like (sighs) you are almost dead. That's why it's like not that I love the story. Obviously, I don't. But that's why the story to me is so interesting because like there's so much psychology to it. One day you're fine. And then the next minute your entire life has changed so quickly. Yeah. One event can really just change your perception on everything. Everything. That's like one thing about life that's so scary. But at the same time, it's like such a good thing because those little things could be a good change. You can get that shock real quick that just puts everything back in place and just reminds you how small you are but right? the story is so like thoughtful <laughs> i know i feel like i'm just gonna think about my whole life after this basically just wait till I, there's more shit but oh, <laughs> so you know ken he arrives at this little shed he lies down and he's shaking uncontrollably from the cold you know like when you're coming back from hypothermia getting warm again it's not just oh i'm snuggly you know it's yeah it's painful So he's shaking uncontrollably, trying to calm himself down. Another skier who was buried and rescued as well was in the shed, and they kind of warmed up together. And Ken, when he was there, was kind of like asking the skier, you know, he was trying to help the skier out. And it's one of the first times that, you know, they kind of point out that Ken, it didn't sink in what had happened like he was trying to take care of someone else without realizing like you almost died yeah like you are the one who needs taken care of right it didn't sink into him that he was a victim like this thing just happened so ken gets on a snow cat and they're going to take him um i believe up to the resort and finally now it's dawning on him you know this was unbelievable he just survived back-to-back avalanches and was completely buried for an entire hour and remember that stat. There's only a 30% chance when you're buried in an avalanche. And he was basically buried twice. And for a long ass time. And horribly, it was confirmed that that day, this is so tragic, that three skiers died that day because of that avalanche. So three of those skiers who went down the traverse died, which is so horrible. It's just horrific. And, I mean, I guess you you guys could kind of put this together. It was confirmed that the avalanches were caused by the skiers' movement across and going down the traverse. Um, I think it was also the first time the traverse was open for the year. Like, the path, I think. So, that could have... I don't know. It could have been. I'm not sure. But it's it's weird because it's like, you know, you in the articles they said that 
the resort and everything put out and ski patrol put out statements saying that they patrolled and they did everything they could that day. But at the same time, I just wonder then why the path wasn't cleared. Like, was that normal? Because Ken and the other skiers didn't seem to think so, but I'm not sure if you guys know more. It must more. not have been too crazy though, or else they probably wouldn't have gone on it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's what the resort thought as well, but who's to say, I mean, you know, those things are so back and forth and Ken said that he doesn't blame anyone. He doesn't blame the resort and he doesn't blame the other skiers because yeah, it's no one's fault. It's not. It's nature, you know, has her ways. She's crazy. The avalanche was confirmed to be a size three, meaning up to 1000 tons of snow fell. Oh my God. So Ken's friend, Timothy Tate, who, you know, did the intro in the closing of both these mountain journal articles, wrote the prologue, and there were two paragraphs that were so deep, they weighed so heavily on me, so I'm going to read them right now. <laughs> oh, girl. I know, this this story. So, this is one of them, quote, There are moments in a person's life when the world as we know it twists into another form before our eyes. It could be the slow-motion view of a high-speed car crash. It could be a partner walking out the door, never to return. It could be a ballet anchor popping loose. It could be an avalanche. The call of character gives us the willpower to survive our destiny. Ken's story is an example of such well-tempered experience brought to bear under impossible, seemingly hopeless conditions, affording him the opportunity to inspire us with his story, a large metaphor of what may come, end quote. Damn. Isn't that so that is, deep? Yeah, I was going to say, that's really like in a book or in a movie type deep. That's like some shit your psychologist says and you just think about it for months. Yeah. The call of character gives us the willpower to survive our destiny. Whoa. <laughs> Let that sink in for all of you guys. Right? So I have like one more page. This is, so the follow-up article part two was all about Ken after the avalanche and like the psychology of how such a crazy event could affect you. And it kind of talks about Ken right after the avalanche coming to terms with it and then his healing and stuff like that. So I'm going to go on with that. If you guys, you know, psychology isn't your bag, I get it. But that's what the um, rest of this is going to be about. Which I'm glad an article focused on that for once. Yeah, it's important because, you know, everyone is like, oh, you're a hero. You know, congrats. But yeah. then after the next month, when people forget about the story, it's like, who's there helping yeah. you heal? Survivor's guilt and all that stuff. Oh, so much survivor's guilt. So, okay, in the follow-up article, um, speaking of survivor's guilt, one thing that they talk about at first was that he... Ken found out later in a couple days, so this wasn't at first, but in a couple days after when they were still finding people, he found out that one of the women, I think it was a man and a woman, that two of the deceased were the two people who were right before Ken and Rebecca who dropped in and said something about, like, have a good run. So that was something that obviously to Ken was like almost like an outer body experience that he had just seen those people and they were two that passed away, you know, crazy. Um, so almost immediately Ken started to distance himself from the event, obviously not on purpose, but you know, the brain deals with trauma in different ways. So it was really hard for him to put this together. Then he almost died and was a miracle. So, you know, for example, 
like I said, Ken was trying to assist the other skier. And another example is when they went to the ski patrol room after the event, when he went to, you know, like tell them what happened and get help, they all just got really quiet and were staring at him like, you know, wow, holy shit, that guy just survived death. And Ken didn't understand why. He was like, why is everyone getting all quiet and staring at me? You know, still not understanding that he, this is just unbelievable. That day, though, you know, extreme anxiety started to kick in because there were a lot of people from the media who came there immediately looking to talk to him and other survivors. And that was like the first time Ken got really bad anxiety about the situation, realizing that people were going to want to talk to him about this. And he hadn't even dealt with it himself yet. Like the media can be so horrible sometimes. Yeah, seriously. And then Ken realized that he was going to have to tell his wife, Ruth, And that was another thing that he just was so anxious about because it's like, how do you tell someone what just happened when it's something that crazy? Yeah. So he goes home and he tells Ruth that I was buried underground for an hour and this was the first time he really broke down and became emotional and like just let himself get upset and Ruth held him, took care of him. And Ken finally went to the hospital, and he said that on his way, he saw lights and helicopters up over the mountain, and still realizes that there are skiers who are unaccounted for and haven't been found, and, you know, it's obvious at that point the entire day has gone by, and it's really sad if they haven't been found, they're most likely not alive, and seeing that search of the other skiers was the also another time like the first time where there was this really strange feeling in Ken where he felt related to these other skiers like he had just been with them that day and talked to them yet he was different because he had survived and there were still some who hadn't so that feeling was like still haunts Ken to this day you know of course survivor's guilt why was I just with people and I survived and they didn't so that was something that he really still was dealing with In the next few days, um, Ken was at the hospital and learned of the fatalities and really just trying to put everything together, trying to comprehend what had happened to him. And he said that he just felt gutted learning that the other skiers had passed. Following the events, trying to heal, obviously it was really difficult trying to live, go back to your average life when this just happened he would become extremely confused and disoriented sometimes and, you know, kind of just like, how was this real and how am I still living life? He said that right after the avalanche too, he was at a restaurant and heard other people talking about it. And that also gave him such bad anxiety that he had to leave because he said it was just so weird hearing other people tell your story and it's not even 100% accurate like what they were saying and it just upset him so much and you know these emotions he still feels to this day one minute he felt joy and like hopeful that he survived and the next it was just imminent despair and sadness that other people didn't um another interesting thing that was like really sad but just so interesting was that the avalanche happened in January 2020 so that was right before COVID-19. Oh wow. So right after that obviously breathing was like the biggest part of COVID-19 with masks and everything like that and 
Ken says that for him, breathing was a source of trauma because he thinks back to when he was trapped and he could barely breathe and just wanting to have fresh air so bad and thinking about, you know, times when he almost wished that he couldn't breathe so he could just pass out and pass away after being buried in the snow for an hour. So the article points out that breathing is a luxury for Ken after the event and especially because of COVID that was like something extra that you know just being able to breathe but the article is really sad it talks about how you know Ken sometimes when he gets really bad anxiety will like bury himself in his blankets and like kind of put himself back in that as if he was like buried in the snow no it's really so sad but he says something about it it's like comforting to him i'm just going to cry i know in my blankets i actually this. did cry like reading that second article i won't lie so i know this is sad i mean i know i'm about to cry <laughs> So, Ken and his wife, right after, they took positions at a full-time ski, as full-time ski instructors at Big Sky Ski School in Bozeman. So, that was, like, relatively close to Silver Mountain. So, they kind of stayed in that area, and they were teachers. They were full-time instructors, and Ken, at first, like, just started small, teaching basics, so they weren't going down hills or anything, and he said that that was, like, really positive and therapeutic and healing for him, being able to put back on skis and teach people, and he said everyone there was really positive and really patient with him and understanding his trauma and everything like that. Uh, Ken also was put in touch with Timothy Tate, who wrote, helped him write these articles, and wrote statements about it and Timothy helped him work through the trauma and actually encouraged him to do these interviews because he said a lot of the time with traumatic events you forget a lot that happens so he wanted Ken to write everything down and Ken also really wanted to write everything down because he said he wanted to help other people who went through these traumatic events and like let them know his story but unfortunately, due to the pandemic, both Ken and Ruth had to return home and they couldn't continue being ski instructors there. Mm. So at the end of the article, Ken is, you know, he's saying it's really difficult to cope during the pandemic. He finds himself just wanting to be isolated in general. Like even when the pandemic is over, he doesn't he just wants to like be by himself and stay inside. In the closing paragraph, Therapist Timothy Tate notes that therapy is a process of self-revelation. And that really is true. Like for Ken, you know, he's a grown adult, but his entire world now is brand new because of this event. So Timothy points out that part of the healing process is just being grateful for every moment and for every breath that you can take. And so that is something that Ken is grateful for. And um, it's, uh, of course it's hard every day, but he is going to continue healing. And that was in April, 2020, you know, when the pandemic really hit. So I hope Ken is still out there healing. And Ken, I swear to God, I wish you the best. I, I know, honestly, like, I am sad. so sad, but I wanted to end on a positive note, of course, cause that was just like tragic and, um, so I was reading an article, it was one year after the Silver Mountain Avalanche, kind of just talking about why the avalanche happened, and there were changes put into place to prevent future avalanches at the resort and everything like that, 
And the best change is that there's a new Avalanche dog program. And the ski resort got a black lab puppy, which has been brought in, and his name is Roger. Oh my god, I love Roger. And Roger is now in training at the Silver Mountain Ski Resort to help search for survivors in any future avalanches. Yes, go Roger, go. So they have this little black lab puppy who's now going to help uh, during search and rescue for future avalanches. So and I was like, honestly, okay. Honestly, what could be better than getting rescued and seeing a puppy? The first, well, not a puppy. I'm assuming it would be a dog, but still, I would be like, yes. I know, I know. I was like, oh my god. Okay, that's one positive thing I'm going to cling to after this. Yeah, this story just made me reconsider my whole life. Literally. But, I mean, it is one of those things that it'll be a long time healing for Ken, but at the same time, it is a positive story because it does make you grateful for every moment you have. You never yep. know when just a small little fun activity you do could turn out to be something where... You have to, you know, rethink a lot of things. So Your whole life can change in the matter of two hours. Literally. So, I guess, you know, just be grateful for every moment, guys. We're getting deep. That was so deep. Oh, my God. Well, thank you guys for listening. And if you guys are avid skiers or anything like that, let us know. Yeah. Also, be safe out there since winter is obviously approaching. Yeah, let us know if you guys have ever, you know, like, been skiing and thought, oh my god, what if there's an avalanche or something crazy, or just if you ski in general. I have no knowledge of skiing, but I'm about to go watch some Black Diamond Run videos after that. Right? So (laughs) let us know, and thank you guys for tuning in. Enjoy your December. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at, ew, that's creepy podcast. Or send us an email at ew, that's creepypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.